1 Samuel 7, stand with me if you would. We'll get into the message tonight. And uh, I'll, I'll read the text and then we'll, we'll give some background here and then hopefully have a challenge from God's Word tonight. So the Bible says, The men of Kirjath-Jerim came and they fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long. That is significant. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. For it was twenty years... And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only, and Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah, and drew water, and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel Mizpah. And this pouring out of water, historians say, would have just been representative of physical repentance. Like, hey, we're serious about this. This is what we're doing. And then this action followed. Verse 7, When the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, and when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. The children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that He will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And so Samuel took a sucking lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. And they were smitten before Israel. The men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines were subdued. And they came no more into the coast of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron even unto Gath. And the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Let me say a word of prayer, and we'll get into the text tonight. Lord, thank you for today and the chance to be together tonight. Lord, thank you for the fellowship and strength we receive from one another Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and that you would help us to each find application um, where we need it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The ark of God, as we come into the passage tonight, had been taken from the Israelites in a big battle. And so the Philistines, they had won the ark of God, and boy, it was a trophy for them. They knew that it was symbolic of God's presence. For Israel, it was like, it was like taking the, the, the enemy team's mascot captive, right? And, but it was, it was so, so much more than that. And so they had captured the, the ark of, of God and the ark of the covenant, and there's this beautiful golden box, and boy, they're parading it around from town to town. 
But every single town that the ark of God goes into the Philistines, God smites them with disease and pestilence and all of these problems. And so they would move the ark of God and it happened again. And then they move the ark of God and it happened again. They finally say, let's get this away from us. Let's put it on some oxen cart. Let's just roll the dice here and see where it takes, takes it. Well, it takes it right, the ox on the new cart, they take it right back to the children of Israel. And it comes in, and we look at the, at the end of chapter 6, the Bible says it comes to these men at Beth Shemesh. Well, these guys see this, this, these oxen coming with this cart and the ark of God on it, and they're just coming right at them, and they get the ark of God, and they're excited. Boy, boy God's presence has returned to us, but they're also curious. What's in the ark of God? Right? What's in the Ark of the Covenant? And so they are really curious about this. And they pop the lid open and they look inside. And the Bible says that God kills 50,000 and threescore and ten men because of that. And, and there's this lesson here, I'm not going to preach tonight, but God is not to be taken for granted. He is not to be trifled with. Um, this is a big deal. We don't take God's holiness for granted. We don't take His symbols for granted. We don't take His word for granted. We don't take God for granted. And they did. And they treated Him as ordinary. And God says, I'm not going to be treated that way. And a lot of men die because of this. And so 20 years pass now. And the ark of God is, is still there. And Israel's in a state of mourning and lamenting after the Lord. They knew they had messed up on multiple levels. And there is this desire in their hearts that they want things to get back to where they used to be with the Lord. They know there's this distance. They know they've messed up. They know they're far from God. They want their relationship with the Lord back. They're lonely and they're sick at heart for the absence of God, for the presence of God in their lives and their nation. They want the joy of knowing Him, of walking with Him, and of depending on Him back. Now stop for a moment. Do you know that feeling? We all do. Boy, it doesn't take much in the Christian life. And, and maybe externally things don't change a lot, but inside our hearts, we all know that feeling of feeling distant from the Lord. And maybe we've been faithful to church. Maybe we've, been, maybe we've even shared our faith. Maybe we've gone through all the outward motions, but we know this about the Christian life. Outward motions are one part of the Christian faith, but what takes place inside the heart and the communion of an individual soul with God is a whole different level of Christianity, and that's what matters most. Because everything flows from the inside out in the Christian life. And all of our works, sometimes they mean nothing when our heart's not right. And we know what that distance is like from the Lord. And that thirst, and, and the psalmist even said that he thirsted for God as a, as, a, as a deer or a heart would pant for a water brook. He was thirsting for the Lord. And there are these moments where we feel that in our own hearts. David at one point was so far from the Lord. He said, Lord, would you restore unto me? And then he says this, the joy of my salvation? Because it's one thing to be saved. And it's another thing to forget about the joy and the peace and the wonder of being saved. And, and David, David's like, God, I'm so far from you, and I know I'm saved, and I know, I know that I know you, but Lord, I don't feel the joy of being saved. And so he said, Lord, would you restore to me the joy of my salvation? And for the child of God, there comes moments in our lives where we are farther from him than we should be, and it takes moments like the prodigal son where he all of a sudden something snaps in his service 
or something we read in the Bible or that we hear or we read or a preacher says something and all of a sudden it's like our, our senses are sharpened once more and we are reminded, Lord, I'm not where I need to be with you and my heart is far from you and I need to get back close to you. And he is there and he is ready and he's willing to receive us as he was for these people here. There was another motivation for them to draw close to the Lord. The Philistines were lurking <laughs> like they always were. They had lost the ark of God 20 years earlier in this massive battle. Lots of people died, right? Well, what happens over a 20 year period of time? Well, lots of babies are born and they turn into men and a whole new army is raised. And so here the Philistines are 20 years later and they're ready for battle again. They hadn't attacked yet, but they were going to. And Israel knew it was coming. They had their recon out. They knew. And it, and it came in the chapter we just read. It came. And so they want to get right with God for this reason too. They want his help. I don't know that there are many bad reasons to get right with God. So, so they are here and they're thinking, you know, we, we miss you, Lord. We need to get back to you. We want the joy of our salvation restored. Yes. Also, P.S., the, the bad guys are multiplying again. And God, we need your help. And for us, it might not be the Philistines, but it would be health concerns. It would be circumstances at work. It would be relationships when our world circumstantially comes crashing in on us. And we say, God, boy, I'm far from you and I need to get back to you. I need your help. I want us to see a couple of principles from the text, and I'm going to land on our main point tonight. And the first principle is simply this. Here they are repenting. Here they are getting right with God. And here's the principle. Repentance isn't the cause for deliverance, but it is a condition for it. It's, it's not always getting right with God that is necessarily going to be a guaranteed win. Like, okay, God, I'm right with you, and now automatically I just know you're going to deliver me, because now we're good. That doesn't work that way. There's still consequences for sin. But if we want deliverance, we better get right with God and give ourselves every opportunity for it. You give yourself great advantage for God to see your need and deliver you when you do get right with Him. The physical world that we live in is full of dirt and bacteria and sweat and odors and filth. Um, our homes, our bodies, our clothes, our cars, we are in a con this, this building, we're in a constant state of repair and maintenance and cleaning. You drive your car down the highway, you wash it, it's going to be a few days before it's going to be dirty all over again. Not just once, but often. Uh, we shower with frequency because we live in a world of dirt. Okay, translate that to the spiritual realm and it's not much different. We live in a sinful world and the clean soul gets dirty. And what does the clean soul need? It needs the washing of the Word of God, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And we need it all the time. That's why daily communication with God's important. That's why weekly and, and every time that the church gets together, we need the fellowship of believers, the accountability that we derive from one another, the teaching and the admonition of God's word in our lives so that we can be cleansed. We need cleansing. 
We need it routinely on a regular basis. And enough evidence from God's Word suggests that the cries of dirty hearts are not heard from by the ears of God in the same way that the cries of clean hearts are heard. There's a big difference. Here's a man with a dirty heart who needs help from God suddenly, and so he cries to God. Here's a man with a clean heart who needs help from God, and so he cries to God. Okay, we got the picture? Okay, I'm going to read the verse. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Okay, dirty heart, prayer. He's still praying. Clean heart, prayer. The verse is suggesting this. God hears clean hearts much better than dirty hearts. The condition of our heart, it matters. It matters to God where we're at. And the Bible promises us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins and then to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so here we are, dirty heart, saved, going to heaven, 100%. The way Jesus Christ looks at this man, blood bought, going to heaven, but still living in a sin-filled world and hasn't had the cleansing of God's Word in a while. What does this man need to do? Confess his sin to God and get it right. Get things cleaned up. Get to this point of repentance. And then in this cleanse, clean state, the Lord says, hey, I'll hear your prayers. What's going on? Let's get this fixed. Let's either fix you or fix the situation, but let's move forward. There are no excuses for not having a clean heart before God. We don't have one. God has given us a way to cleanse ourselves, and we need to do it, and we need to do it all the time. So the people in this text tonight, they, need, they know they need cleansing, and here they are, and they begin to get emotional about it. So why don't you look at verse 2 with me again. It came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long. Twenty years passed. And this is what the Bible says, and all the house of Israel, they did what? Well, they lamented unto the Lord. Boy, they are crying out. There is this super emotional response to God. Now, that kind of lamenting can be good. Because an emotional response to problems draws attention to the fact that corrective behavior is needed. So emotions all of a sudden say, hey, look, I need to do something here. They are like a highlighter for character flaws. When we begin to get stirred emotionally, okay, something's wrong here. I need to fix this. But sometimes, as Christians, as well-meaning as we are, we get confused thinking that emotions are change agents. And they are not. They often, God can often use them to bring us to the point where we know we need change. But getting emotional about something changes nothing. It doesn't fix anything. Because you cried about it, because you got emotional, because you cried out to God in this emotional moment, doesn't fix any problems. Just like it didn't for them. So they're lamenting, but lamenting's can be good if done in the right way and in the right direction and as long as action follows it. There are some people who get emotional about sin. They face their problems and then they go about fixing them and getting them right. Now the action part comes. But there are some that get emotional about their sin. They cry about it. They, they, they are, God, I need to get things right. They get emotional, but then they don't change. 
and they act as if, if I just get emotional about it, things will be different. But they don't. And so Samuel is going to press this point with them. He's not like the, his predecessor Eli. He, he's not like Saul to follow him. Well, he is going to confront these people, and so he does. And so in verse 3 it says this, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do, return unto the Lord with all your hearts. You want to do this? Then follow it up with actions, because lamenting means nothing to me, and it means nothing to God. And I want you to look at the verse with me, verse 3. He says this, You want to get right? Then put away. Go into action. Put up or shut up. Do something about it. Put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you. And prepare your hearts unto the Lord. And serve Him only. You're serving yourself. You're serving other gods. You're doing what you want to do. You're interpreting the Bible the way you want to interpret. Not okay. Do things God's way. And He says, and if you follow that up with action, you got emotion, now prove it. He says, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. He's saying this, get off your backside and let your actions speak. That's the point. It is not enough to be emotional for the Lord. There is nothing wrong with it, and there is a place for it, and it's healthy and it's good. But it needs to be followed up by some doing. And we're going to put some things away, and we're going to show the Lord that we mean it. Put away this behavior. Put on a different kind of behavior. That of serving the Lord. And this word serve is a verb. It means to labor and work. See, emotions are easy, but serving the Lord is labor. It's gritty. It's hard work. People say, well, I've hit rock bottom. And they cry out for help. They tear up. They sob. They tell you everything they've done wrong. You tell them what, they, what to do, and they do none of it. And it you, you, I'm sure, have experienced this too. Multiple times I have worked with people who come into church, either as a first-time guest or maybe they've been here for a while, life's falling apart, usually because of some type of neglect in their life. They repent in tears. I'll give them a lot of my time and pray with them. And, and then they don't come back. And I try to follow up and there's no action. Or they don't make the hard choices you've asked them to make. You tell them what to do, and they do none of it. And here we are, just a week or two separated from this really emotional breakdown. Sobbing and tears, and, and I'm going to get right with God, and I'm going to do all this in this emotional response. But without action, without service, without doing something about it, it always means absolutely nothing. And if we're going to serve God, and if we're going to live for Him, we're going to have to make some hard choices. And then we're going to have to stick by them. And Samuel says, get everyone together. We're going to pray right now. We're going to go to God. We're not going to just lament to Him. We're not going to just cry about this. We're going to do something about it. He says, everybody get together and we're going to pray. And I want you to join me in prayer. And we're going to take this to the Lord. And this is my second principle tonight. It's not the main point yet. Prayer is often not just our only recourse. It is our best recourse. When we need to get right with God, we need to pray. Jeremiah says, then shall you call upon me, you shall go and pray unto me. Okay? And then he says, and then will I hearken unto you. If you want God's ear, if you want God's voice, you have to pray. 
you have to talk to him. If you don't talk to God, who will? Who will get it right? Who will fix the problem? And so he says, let's go, let's pray, let's, let's turn to God. And so they begin to turn to the Lord and they talk to him. And if you're going to be a good Christian, if you're going to walk with the Lord, if you're going to make a difference in this life, if you are going to know the power of God in your world, you have to pray. There's no shortcut here. There's no other alternative. There's no way around. We as God's people have always been called to and must always be people of prayer. It has to be part of my life. It has to be part of yours. We cannot be good Christians without it, and we cannot go know God without it. You have to be a person of prayer. Prayer is not a pious cop-out for solving the problems of life. And evidently, Samuel and other great men of God throughout history considered it an entirely rational activity. I think this. I do think we begin to feel pious about saying we will pray for someone when we offer to, but then we don't. So it almost becomes like a courtesy thing to say. I'll pray about that for you. Oh, let me know. I'll pray about that, brother. Yeah, I'll be, we'll be praying about that, sister. And then we don't pray about it. And we are pious. And our words mean nothing. And they, no one else may know, but we know. In our hearts, we feel like hypocrites. And we feel cheap and dirty because we said we would, and then we don't. Hey, it is okay to tell someone you're going to pray about it, and you should. And it's okay to not tell someone you're going to pray about it, and you still should. We should be people of prayer, praying for one another. That's part of our Christian obligation as fellow church members. Praying for our nation. Praying for this church. Praying for lost souls. Praying for missions this entire month. Praying for, for, for the blessings of God, for His direction. Praying for God's wisdom. We have so much to pray about. And we need to be people of prayer. If prayer didn't make a difference, it wouldn't attract the enemy so much. Daniel prays in the book of Daniel, and what did Satan do? Well, he got in the way. He fought him. Samuel calls a prayer meeting, and guess who shows up? As soon as he calls a prayer meeting, well, the Philistines show up. So they knew they were lurking and out there. They lament to God. Samuel says, okay, let's take it to the Lord. Philistines see that? Let's go. Let's fight. Let's now. Let's, let's interject. Let's stop the prayer. Why? Because it makes a difference. Satan believes it more than we do. It makes a difference. You start praying and all of a sudden bad guys materialize out of nowhere. And now they're really de desperate. But now there's a big difference in their attitude between where it was a few chapters ago and where it is now. Because a few chapters ago when they had taken the ark of God into battle, they were trusting in the ark of God for deliverance. It was symbolic to them. The ark's going to save us. Watch out, Philistines. And what did God allow to happen? He allowed the Philistines to capture the ark because they were trusting in something other than him, regardless of how prolific and important the symbolism of the ark was. And now they come to God himself. Now they look to the Lord himself. Now they come to God directly. And God intercedes on their behalf. They weren't dependent on things or a person or religion, or performance, or, or behavior. They were dependent on God and Him alone. And so Samuel prays, and what does God do? If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But if we put away our strange gods, 
and we stop serving self, and we turn to the Lord with a clean heart, well, then He hears us. And so look at verse 10 with me, if you would. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with, uh, thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them. It means He crushed them with thunder. And they were smitten before Israel. Lightning and thunder are majestic and powerful. It is amazing to watch a thunderstorm in Oklahoma. But imagine God targeting you with it. Saying, here it comes. Boom, you can't escape. And he discomfited them. He took lightning bolts from heaven. He aimed them right at the Philistines. And he blew them up. This is an amazing story. How you think about what took place in this moment. Here these people are saying, God, we want to get right with you. Oh, we want to serve you. We want to, we want to do all these things right. Samuel says, okay, fine. You want to do it? Stop crying. Start working. Start serving. Let's prove it. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's get our lives right. And so they do. And God takes lightning from heaven. You talk about the miraculous here. You just can't imagine what that would be like. And he begins to aim these bolts like Zeus at these guys and destroys them all. And the dust settles. And they're looking at their enemy, slain by lightning bolts. And so Samuel sets up a stone. He said, we need to remember this. This is a big deal. And he names it Ebenezer. And Ebenezer means this. Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. This wasn't our battle. This wasn't anything we did. This was all God's doing. We can't control the lightning. We couldn't control the enemy. We were terrified of them. And God interjected. And God did something special. It wasn't a gold box called the ark. It wasn't our religion. It wasn't dumb luck. It was our God who saved us. He rescued us with thunder. He did what we could not do. He and he alone crushed our enemy. He delivered us. He did something special for us. He helped us. He completely destroyed our enemy and saved the day. Paul would say something like this, I will not boast in my gifts or my power, my wisdom, or my strength, but in the deliverance and the might and strength of a powerful God. And here's the challenge tonight. We need to live our lives in such a way that we know God is our help. We need to live a Christian life of faith and dependence on God so that we, like the children of Israel in this moment, we look at our lives and what God does in our lives and we say, you know what? There's no way I could have blessed myself like that. There's no way I could have done all this in my own wisdom and in my own strength. There's no way I could have saved myself like this. God did that. And we need to have stones set up in our life that we look at and say, hitherto hath the Lord helped me. And some of us tonight, it does us good and it does the heart of God good for us to remember what He's done. For instance, for me, God saved me as a young boy. And I remember in fifth grade, I was more scared of hell than I was attracted to heaven. I was just like, I don't want to go there. I need Jesus. And God saved my soul. And forever no man can pluck me from the Father's hand. Hell is not my eternal destination. Heaven is. And I can't do that on my own. I'm not good enough. You know me. You know I'm not good enough. 
I can't save myself. And I want to say that there's a stone in my life that I look at and say, God, thank you. Hitherto has God helped me. And if you're saved tonight and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's no different from you. And it's okay to have that stone and be grateful for it. That God saved you and did what you can't do. I need to remember his salvation and you do too. God brought Elizabeth into my life. And I'm not just saying this to be trite. He's blessed me in ways I don't deserve and cannot begin to enumerate. I'm grateful for my wife. And God gave me that. God has miraculously delivered me time and time again from financial, relational, and emotional difficulties that I've put myself in. He's delivered me from them. God has changed me. He continues to change me. He he continues to work in your heart and use us as his instruments. What a blessing to be used by God the way that he uses us. And we need to look at our lives and the good things we have. And stop seeing things so negatively. And take stock of the world, the beautiful world God's given us. And not take glory or credit for this church, for what we have here, or for our lives. And just look at that and go, man, hitherto hath God helped me. And God used me. And and I'm grateful. Okay, let me pivot now. Some of us need to be writing stories of faith in the present so that we have a past to look to. Because some people have no Ebenezer. At some point, they just gave up. Their heart got dirty and they didn't clean it. They didn't want to cry out to God for help, so they did it. They didn't repent. They didn't turn back. They didn't pray. They didn't seek the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, they chose to live such a life in such a way that they really didn't need God until it was too late. And then they needed Him. And then they didn't know how to access him. And I want to challenge us with this thought tonight. We need to serve big. Leave it all out there. We need need to not just get emotional about God. We need to implement practical ways of serving him and sacrificing for him. We need to give big. Opportunity to participate in Missions Month this, this year. Let's not let that slip us by. Let's give. We need to love big. We need to share our faith and be generous. We need to watch God work. We need to never stop asking Him to use us. We need to have some personal stories in our lives about God's working. My kids love to hear stories about, you know, my life and things that we've done. But we need to have stories not just about life, but about what God's done and how God's delivered. And some of us have no stories. And some of us need fresh stories. How old is your Ebenezer? For some of us, Ebenezer, or the Ebenezers in our lives, are as old as Scrooge himself. Our stories of God's deliverance are old. There's nothing wrong with having old stories of God's deliverance. But there is something wrong if that's all you have. And you have no fresh ones. Special things God's doing in your life. Ways He's using you to make a difference in the lives of others, financially. With your love. With your witness. 
someone you're praying for, and that you're telling about the love of Jesus, that you're inviting to church, someone that you're serving, a neighbor that you're sacrificing for, and you've endured some awkward moments with because you are showing them the love of Christ. We need some fresh stories of how we've given to someone, of how God's blessing and moving and doing something in our hearts. Too many Christians have stories from years ago, but they haven't done anything recently. No great prayers. They pray for their meal and for God's protection. And that's it. No big prayers. Not asking God to do anything big. No battles. No acts of faith. No sacrifices today. No faith that stretches. No big acts of generosity. No people that they witness to. I'm going to ask you this question tonight. How has God helped you? How will He help you? And and the challenge is simply this. We need to live in such a way that you know where your help comes from. And too often, we're content with small thinking, with comfortable lives, with not thinking outside of our own selves, the own walls of our, 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 our little world. And we need to think bigger than that. And we need God to do something special through us. And we need to come to Him and say, God, I haven't had an Ebenezer in a while. I've got some in the past, and I've got my salvation and these good things you've done for me, but those are old Ebenezers, Lord, and I need some fresh stories, some fresh ways that I look at that and say, boy, I could never have done that aside from God's grace and God's help. I could never reach that person. I could never have forgiven them. I could never have loved in that way. I could never have given in that way. I could never have served in that capacity. I could never have stepped into that role except God's grace, God's deliverance, and God's help. And I'm going to tell you, we serve the same God that threw lightning bolts from heaven. He's the same God today. And He still wants to work in our hearts and do some special things. So let's ask Him to. Let's ask Him to use us. Let's ask Him to help us. And let's live our lives in such a way that we look at our lives and say, that was God. Let's live big. Let me ask you to stand tonight if you would. Father, thank you for your word tonight.